part of my job, I guess you would say, is to help redirect that stereotype Mm -hmm. or that misperception, not just through our marketing work, but when we bring journalists, travel journalists in particular, to Jordan to show them what the destination has to offer, what the culture is, the people. It Just like I was transformed when I first came to Jordan, is the same way I see a transformation in everybody I have brought to Jordan over the years. And it's very, very cool to see that transformation. It can really, I mean, when you're up against all this negative media that is constantly pushed, especially in the Western world the only way really to beat that misperception is to go to the place Mm -hmm. and see for yourself rather than just go off of the word of something in the media especially now and today with we see how media coverage can be so biased hey it's yulia and this is going places If you missed last week's episode, we have renamed the show from Travel Media Lab to Going Places with Yulia Denisiuk to better reflect the storytelling focus on people and places of the show going forward. If you want to know more about why I'm doing this change, check out last week's episode. This season of the podcast is brought to you by Visit Jordan, and I couldn't restart the show without bringing you the perspective of a person that, while not originally from Jordan, knows it very well. Janine Jervis has spent the last 17 years working for Visit Jordan, where she started as an intern and is now serving as the North American Communications Director. On the show, we cover a wide range of topics, from harmful stereotypes plaguing the Middle East and the dehumanization of Arabs, to what keeps Janine coming back to Jordan for nearly two decades. We also talk about Palestine and the tools we can each employ to feel a little bit less hopeless during this time of crisis. Janine is also addressing the question, should you travel to Jordan now? I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you want to stay updated on all the things Going Places and my work in the travel space, be sure to visit goingplacesmedia.com to sign up for our newsletter. Now, on to this episode. Hi, Janine. Welcome to the show. I'm so excited you made it. Hi, Yulia. Thank you so much for having me on. And yes, finally, I'm so glad we got to finally do this together. It's great to be on your show, on your podcast. I'm so glad to have you. So where are you joining from today? I am joining from the Dead Sea, the beautiful Dead Sea. We just had sunset about 15 minutes ago. As you can see in the back there, it's still kind of pretty. But yeah, I've been in Jordan for about almost 10 days now with a group of filmmakers and journalists. So we are very happy to be here. We are feeling very grateful to be here. I can imagine throughout this whole time, I've just been wanting to be back there so much. As you know, I also have a lot of friends in Jordan and just been wanting to be with them in this time. No, I was going to say, actually, some of the folks I have on the trip with me are repeat visitors, actually. Some are repeat, some are new uh, first timers. And the repeat ones, it was very cool because when I pitched it to them, one, it was last minute, but also, you know, it's the winter time. It was right after the holidays and they all jumped at it. Two of them were here just six months ago. So it was very cool to have them jump on board so quick. That's the thing with Jordan, isn't it? That you tend to get repeat visitors. 
you tend to fall in love with the country and I've certainly been there I don't know how many times now maybe 20 I haven't really counted you know like a lot of times same here I've lost phone myself yeah right it's a really special place and we're gonna get into that in the podcast today but first I read somewhere that you've been in the travel and tourism industry for over 15 years Yes. Wow, that is incredible. How did you first get into working in the travel space? So I got into the travel space quite very randomly, actually. It wasn't something I was seeking, but it was always an industry that I was interested in being from Jamaica and tourism is a big part of Jamaica. I wasn't really familiar with it from an employment perspective, but just from interest. And a friend of mine was interning with our office and I had just graduated from university and she had recommended that she was leaving and they may have a position and so I said okay I'll I'll check it out I didn't want to have too long a gap in my resume from graduating anyhow she put me in touch with them I went on a quick interview. They even said at the time they didn't have the budget to pay me because it was end of the year. It was October of 2006. So I was like, well, you know, I don't mind learning, you know, and just feeling it out as well. And I started volunteering in October of 2006. And then in March of 2007, I was taken on my first press trip to Jordan, my manager at the time, and for a training, and they decided to hire me full time. My first trip to Jordan was March of 2007. And so, as you can see, it's been 17 years. So I think that speaks volumes in of itself. Absolutely. It absolutely does. So you must have seen so much over the years and you must know the country so well by now. That's really incredible to go into into it that deeply. But if you remember the first experience of traveling to Jordan, what are some things that perhaps surprised you? Especially at that time, because I think Jordan wasn't really that known outside as it is now. Like you guys have done an, an amazing job over the past however many years, because I think back then very few people had an idea of what the country is. I would agree with you. I've definitely seen the growth of interest and the growth in travel over the years. The first thing that surprised me of Jordan was the people. I was 20, so I think 25 or something like that, fresh out of college, had no relations or any kind of interaction with anybody from the Middle East at that time. You know, I was just an island girl from Jamaica who was living in the U.S. going to college. So anyways, I didn't really have any perceptions of it other than what I was seeing in the news at the time because of it. this was after 9-11. So that's the most of what I knew of the area, of the region. So when I was going for my first time, the people I was working with were Jordanian. Some of them were Jordanian, some of them weren't because we had people from all over working in our office. And so I didn't really have going with any fears per se, but I really didn't know what I was going walking into. And then I had people around me asking questions like, mm, you know, the Middle East, you know, be careful. So, okay. Ended up going and what was most overwhelming was the hospitality, just how warm the people were, how friendly they were, how inviting. 
at first made me uncomfortable because I was like, you know, why are people so nice? Like, do they want me to buy something? Because that's kind of what I'm used to in visiting other places sometimes. And, you know, sad to say, sometimes even in Jamaica, you know, that right. you can get that. When a place has too much tourism, sometimes it can get a little murky, like of a better way of saying it. So that was the first thing, you know, just being overwhelmed by the warmth of the people and genuinely so. Um, just them wanting to be warm, very much interested in learning about where I'm from, very much interested in welcoming visitors and showing them their beautiful country and their culture. That's the vibe I got everywhere I went. It didn't matter whether it was in the city, whether it was in the middle of nowhere, in the desert. And then the other thing that struck me, I think, was just how much I had in common with people I was meeting, the tour guide. Surprisingly so, because, you know, you, I, I did walk in with some perceptions, but it was very cool for, the, the, for me to unlearn them and unlearn them in the way I did, because it was firsthand interacting with people from everywhere, because working for Jordan allowed me to, you know, meet the people that we were, we would take these guests that we would host and interact with Bedouins, interact with the bus driver, everybody, you know, yeah. the, the waiters, the bellboys. And even to this day, 17 years later, there are bellboys in Petra that I met from when I first came here. Till today, they're still there and they see me and I get the warmest welcome back, you know, mm -hmm. always good to see me. I get, if I want to buy something, they won't let me buy anything because <laughs> I'm always coming there, you know, so yeah. it's like, no, you just have a family everywhere you go. So you mentioned some perceptions that you had walking in. Do you remember what some of those were? I think it's so prevalent, to be honest. And especially at that time, a couple of decades ago, because I remember the same thing, you know, right after 9-11, Arabs and the middle people from the Middle East in general were dealing with a lot of stereotypes, of misconceptions. And when I came to Jordan a decade after you did in 2017 was the first time I received so much feedback from people outside of Jordan who've never been there asking me, how are you going there alone? It is so dangerous. And I was so shocked, honestly, yeah. you know, it saddens me, to be honest, to say that I'm part of the world that plays a role in that because the media headlines have not been kind to that region for a long time exactly and that is part of my job i guess you would say is to help redirect that stereotype mm -hmm. or that misperception not just through our marketing work but when we bring journalists travel journalists in particular to jordan to show them what the destination has to offer what the culture is the people it just like i was transformed when i first came to Jordan is the same way I see a transformation in everybody I have brought to Jordan over the years. And it's very, very cool to see that transformation. It can really, I mean, when you're up against all this negative media that is constantly pushed, especially in the Western world, yeah. the only way really to beat that misperception is to go to the place yeah. and see for yourself rather than just go off of the word of something in the media especially now and today with we see how the media coverage can be so biased what i've learned over the years to combat 
that media bias is there's nothing better than user-generated content. So mm-hmm. I think the age of social media, at least what I noticed is the age of social media really put Jordan over the, you know, over the top in terms of creating that demanding people's interest and minds because people were starting to see more of Jordan as a result of social media, but not through the lens of us as the marketing arm, but from real people going to the country and having their own experiences, especially the rise in single female travelers, because, you know, Jordan has seen a real big increase in solo female travelers. And I think that in itself is a testament to the destination and how people should really perceive it just based on people's real experiences and not just off of what we are told in media, mainstream media rather. I think what you said there is really important. And that's something that I really try to advocate for with all my work, actually, not just the podcast. That was actually the motivation for why I wanted to start bringing groups to Jordan. You know, I ran several groups and it was amazing. And and some repeat travelers have come with me as well, because, you know, I also see the same thing happening. But one thing that you said that I just want to kind of point out here, that's so important for people to really cultivate the skill of critical reading, critical review of what they're reading, critical review of headlines, and really going and seeing for themselves. That is, I found that's like the most powerful way to combat any stereotypes or any misconceptions is, you know, it's so easy to imagine some scary person on the other side of the world that wants to hurt you, which is just such a nonsense kind of concept. But a lot of people have that concept. You know, it's so easy to imagine that when you're just sitting across the world, but then when you come down and and sit with these people, like you said, you see how alike you are, how just alike and human you are. It's just like all of that kind of falls off, that shield that you have over your eyes falls off. And it's just such a powerful Mm -hmm. experience. Definitely. I believe travel should be a part of everybody's education because it's the only way to bridge that gap in understanding. If you live in a certain environment and all you see and hear is one thing, but you've never experienced something else, the only way you're going to experience and break that cycle of whatever it is by branching out and seeing for yourself different cultures, different things. And like I was saying, that that happened for me on my first trip to Jordan. And that was my introduction to the travel world. Even though, you know, I come from a family of travelers and from a family who lived all over the world, I did grow up in Jamaica, a small island. And so I was very limited to what that island was able to offer me. And then whatever I knew of the world was just through my family's travels, which probably is what, you know, helped me have an open mind to even want to have volunteered with Jordan at the time. And from I took that first trip, I I got the bug, the travel bug. As a part of the job, I travel to other places for conferences and events and so on. And I find now, no matter where I go, even though, you know, as a human being, you always have a kind of, you will always stereotype, even sometimes when you're not intending to stereotype. Having worked for Jordan in particular and traveling to Jordan, it has, I guess, matured me in a way where now I 
really try to go with an open mind anywhere. And even when I'm exploring my own country from time to time, I now explore it with a different mindset than I would have had I not had this experience. You know, I'd probably be a little more fearful of exploring the deeper parts of Jamaica just based on the news that you hear, you know. Yeah. Oh, it's dangerous to go here or there, but really and truly, it's, you know, it's just a community with everybody else. So, you know, I think what we're really missing a lot in the global conversation is nuance. We are missing so much nuance and everything seems to be so black and white. I remember just recently having this conversation with someone who lives in San Francisco. And if you read the news about San Francisco, some apocalypse is happening there right now, you know. But my friend was like, it's not. We're still here. We're still living. But those headlines, again, if you don't really go deeper than that, and if you don't talk to the actual people who are from there, then you can develop just some some really strange ideas about what's happening in that place. I'm going to pause our conversation here for just a moment to talk about our partner. This season of our show is brought to you by Visit Jordan. Jordan is a country in the Middle East that, in a relatively small area, packs diverse landscapes like the Mediterranean forests of Ajlun, deep canyons in Wadi Dana, the Mars-like desert of Wadi Ram, my favorite place in Jordan, and the Dead Sea, the lowest point on Earth. At the crossroads of trading routes for millennia, it has a fascinating history. The Nabataeans, the Umayyads, the Romans all made this place home. Jordanian food is rich, varied, and packed with flavors. I, for example, love mansaf. And above all, the people of Jordan are welcoming and are some of the kindest people I've ever met in my travels. If you've been listening to our show for a while, you know how much I love Jordan, and I couldn't be more excited to tell you, Ahlan Sahlan, welcome to Jordan. So if you're looking to understand this region better through its history, food, people, and landscapes, let Jordan be your host. Go to myjordanjourney.com to learn more. That's myjordanjourney.com. And with that, let's jump right back into our conversation. I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about the elephant in the room, which is the fact that right now, as we speak, and has been for three months now, there has been just incredible tragedy and death happening in Gaza. Palestine, and over one third of Jordan's population is Palestinian, actually. And maybe this is something that people don't know, that Jordan is actually a multi-diverse community. There's people living there from all kinds of walks of lives. And I spoke Mm -hmm. a little bit about this in my last episode, so you guys can check that out. But, you know, there is a Palestinian community, there is an Iraqi, there is Syrian, there is Cherkessian community that came a long time ago to Jordan, actually. There's Armenian, there's just different, different populations there. But a big group of Jordan's population is Palestinian, and a lot of them came over after 1948. And it's just been incredibly hard for many of us who have friends who are Palestinian to be witnessing all of this. So I want to ask you, how is the mood in Jordan right now? Um, Like you said, based on everything you just said a a while ago, naturally the mood is one of sadness, a feeling of helplessness. 
frustration because we're all having to witness things that no humans should be witnessing. And yes, you know, I too have grown close to my Jordanian friends here who are like family and everybody is touched by it in some way, very close and personally. So, you know, the the mood is definitely also exacerbated by the fact that Jordan is also seeing a drop in their tourism and visitors and tourism is a big part of Jordan's income. So, you know, it's it's just hard all around. A year ago, probably we would be on um, the trip and going out in Amman and enjoying the nightlife. But right now, everything is on pause because, you know, nobody's in a celebratory mood by any means. Yeah. There is not much to celebrate at the moment. Like you mentioned that travel has dipped, tourism has dipped, and the poor country of Jordan has seen that so many times over the years. You know, it's been affected. Every time there is something happening or the Arab Spring has affected it too, I remember back several years ago. And the COVID uh, pandemic, of course, has affected tourism a lot in Jordan. And like you said, the country depends on tourism. Quite a few families derive their livelihood from tourism, especially outside of Amman. So it's a really difficult situation. So what would you say to travelers right now, right? It's always a a thing to consider. Should I go in a time like this, right? When there is tragedy happening right next door and it feels like, like you said, the helplessness, it feels like there's not much you can do. Should you go? Should you go to Jordan? And should you be there right now? You know, I'm here right now. And it's because I strongly believe that by coming and supporting the economy here, you know, Jordan is one of those countries that's also providing humanitarian aid for the situation, as well as Jordan has always been a land of refuge. I feel like by coming here, by bringing people here and showcasing them this beautiful culture, the beautiful people, the beauty that Jordan offers. Because at one point, this entire region was all one area, one country, especially in biblical times, biblical history. And so, you know, I feel like by traveling here, it's my way and our way of being able to do something positive by shedding the positives on the culture and the people that are constantly dehumanized or painted with one stroke of a brush and dehumanized, or this part of the world tends to be dehumanized. And so this is what travel is about. Travel is to break that barrier that is put up by these conflicts and wars, because these are between governments, not the people right? And the people are the ones that end up suffering. And so tourism helps, you know, these people to feed their families and to help others as well who are in need. And that's what I think the Jordanian and Bedouin culture is all about. Welcoming people, feeding, you know, a visitor, if a visitor is passing by, they'll welcome you in, they will feed you, they will give you water to drink, even if they don't have much of their own. Um, As you know, I'm sure you experienced that on your own trips coming here as a, a single female traveler. So that's why I feel like now is a time to come to Jordan, because aside from the fact that the situation is not in Jordan, 
or it's not on Jordan's borders. So it's like saying something is happening in California, but you know, you don't want to go to DC because California is having problems. So again, I'm saying that because I've been coming here for 17 years. And like you said, we've seen many, many ups and downs. You know, Jordan Mm -hmm. is, they describe it as a quiet house in a noisy neighborhood. So we are not far into these unfortunate situations, but we hope that our continued promotion of Jordan and, and the people here who are very similar to, you know, the people of this region will continue to change minds, continue to inspire people to go beyond their fears and beyond what they see and, you know, want to learn more and yeah, use travel as a force for good, basically. That's what we believe. And so that's why I would ask people to still consider Jordan now for sure. So there's a couple of points that you brought up there that I want to just zero in on because I think they are so, so important. One, I really love that you brought or you, you mentioned that word dehumanization because I think at the root of it, that's the cause of all of this is dehumanization. When you don't see the other person in that region as a, another human being just like you, that's when we start, you know, having the the horrible situation in Gaza that we're having right now. Because I'm not only saying that for people who are directly involved in causing all that harm, but I'm saying that for people back in the States too, who perhaps can sit back and say, well, this doesn't concern me, or I don't know enough, or I don't know, those scary people over there, they want to harm us. It's all part of that dehumanization process and what we talked about earlier the the headlines that have been kind of pummeling arabs for years now that plays a huge part in it you know and so i think that's why i also got into trouble because somehow i felt that it helps you see how we're all the same underneath it all and that is really powerful. And I want to believe in that notion. I want to continue believing in that notion because that is the world I want to live in. Not the other world where we dehumanize each other and continue destructing everything, you know, destroying everything. So I'm really glad you brought this up because I think it needs to be said out loud in any way that this is what's happening. It's dehumanization of people. Mm-hmm. And when you come and sit with them and drink tea with them and they feed you mansaf, you are not able to dehumanize them anymore. You are not. Exactly. And that is the power of it. So that's one point. The other point I also want to raise, and again, I've talked about this on the last episode, so you guys can hear this more. I have been just really disappointed and saddened by how silent the travel media community has been. Because we do talk about the fact that travel is a force for good. Travel has this powerful way of connecting people. But when something like this is happening, we are silent, you know. And I just want to commend you, actually, for coming on the podcast and and talking about this. Because I know it's not easy for multiple reasons, for various reasons, for a lot of people. But I also, what gives me a little bit of hope is that, you know, you and I are not new to this. You've been in this since 2007, at least. I've been learning more about the region since 2017, when, by the way, I first went to the West Bank and saw with my own eyes what's happening there. And if you have ever an opportunity, this is to our people listening right now, if you ever have an opportunity to go and see 
I'm not talking about Gaza right now because that is, you know, more difficult. But if you have an opportunity to go to the West Bank, go and see. You will be changed. For sure, you will be changed. You will see exactly what's happening there. And it's like you cannot unsee that, you know. So you and I have been in this for a while. If there is any hope that I can see in this moment right now is that so many more people around the world are becoming more and more aware first and also speaking out. And that is incredibly to see. That gives me hope in this very hopeless situation, you know. So I know it's not easy to speak up, speak out for, again, for multiple reasons for all of us. But I just, I want to commend you and anyone who is doing that right now, because it's really important. We think it might not be important. We think, what does my voice matter right now? It does. It really does. Because one voice accumulates into an ocean of voices. And that is really important. Exactly. And I commend you as well for definitely speaking up. And as you said, we've we've seen this over the years. You know, we have a personal connection. And yeah, I'm a human first. I'm a human being first, you know. And mm. I think we are all seeing a humanitarian crisis, many humanitarian crises in front of yeah. us right now. And yeah. I think it's important for... You know, if we want to preserve this world for our children and our children's children to see and learn about the world in which we bring them into, you know, we have to preserve it all. I love that you brought us here actually to this space because that was one of the points I wanted to make and I forgot that connected all these struggles are how the dehumanization of Arabs is connected to dehumanization of black people to dehumanization of Asian people, to all of the dehumanizations around the world and all of the challenges and all of the conflicts, how connected all of this are. Because again, once you start seeing another person as a human being, you cannot unsee that and you cannot like reverse. You start seeing everybody as, as a human being, just like you, you know? And so I think when you're traveling to the region, you're not only educating yourself on this region, you're educating yourself on all of the dynamics of our world and what's happening in the world. And that is just invaluable for anyone. We're all interconnected, right? There are indigenous people from every land on, that we inhabit on this planet. And it's sad that we've seen from history you know, history doesn't lie. And we've seen from history just how many indigenous groups of people are dehumanized and their land destroyed and lives destroyed. And we hope travel can put a stop to awareness of travel. We can do what we can do, right? We can do with the tools that we have. So your tool is bringing people to Jordan, and hoping that that will spark some change somewhere, somehow, in some minds. My tool is similar. It's to talk about it and write about it and tell stories about it in hopes that it will change some minds somewhere, somehow, right? And even if we don't change their mind, if we even just open it up a little more to learn more, you know, I I feel like I've succeeded. It's a great ad because, yeah, maybe you're not going to completely transform and change somebody's mind, but you put a seed in there. And that's really the important part, right? That you put a seed in there. So you've been traveling to Jordan and working in Jordan for 17 years, which, again, is just so incredible. What are some of the stories or some of the people who are some of the people that you've met over the years that really stay with you 
you mentioned people in Petra that you that know you. You mentioned some Bedouin communities. But if you just like think of one person that you've known over the years and their story, um, I'd love for you to share that with our audience. Well, I will say there is a woman that I worked with when I first started working with the tourism board. So I, I work for the North American office and we have a head office in Amman and she worked. That's how we met. And mm-hmm. so I've known her from 2007 when I first came. And she strikes out because she's like a sister to me now. We're like sisters. And she's inspired me a lot because she's a very passionate human and advocate for local communities and helping these local communities to advance their skills in whatever they're skilled at. You know, she's very passionate about helping them to develop the skills needed for them to start their own little enterprises and tourism businesses so that they can participate and and get business from the wider tourism market. And, you know, she has inspired me in a way where she's also inspired the work that I wanted beyond what I do in Jordan. I want to bring her the same passion that she does here to like back home to Jamaica and so on. But she's definitely one of those Jordanian women or Arab women that once you meet her, if you had any perception about Arab women, she would shatter all those misperceptions that you would have, you know, about the Middle East and how women are treated and so on and so forth. But these are the questions that I always get from family, from just visitors and, you know, promoting Jordan. She's held many roles within the tourism sector. She's risen herself through through the industry. She's done a lot for her country, for, you know, these small communities. Actually, a lot of the guests that we take on trips and stuff, a lot of the experiences that she has helped create are these experiences that a lot of tourists and visitors are now able to come and interact with locals. And it's increased the economic sustainability of these communities and these families. And you can just see it when you go to these communities, how her passion for the community has really changed these families, you know, in a positive way. So, yeah, I would say she's definitely one that has stood out and she's always welcomed me and her family has always welcomed me every time I've come to Jordan. I've seen different sides of Jordan because of her as well. You know, like when I would come, it would mostly be for work, but then she would take me out of the work mode and I'll get to actually get a peek into real, you know, Jordanian Mm -hmm. regular life because I'd hang out with her at her home with her friends. We'd go out, experience the nightlife, you know, real man. Anyway, just like I do when I'm in DC or yeah. So that's her. And then on the flip side, there are some Bedouins that we have worked with over the years or I've worked with over the years that I would say touched me in a way because Wadi Rum is my favorite. Well, I have many favorites, but Wadi Rum definitely speaks to me deeply. It's a feeling, right, for me. And just the The constant warmth of the welcome that I get every time I come and, you know, they would go out of their way to make sure that me and anybody that I bring are well taken care of. They're just such honest people, such giving people, like 
they would never just come around and not have something to give you either. You know, it's like they're going to give you food or tea or something. You just, you can't go around and not feel well taken care of. And that always sticks to me because I always look forward to going to see them when I go to Jordan. Like Wadira must always be on my stop list at some point because it's just such a peaceful feeling I get when I'm there. Oh, I can just relate to everything you're saying because for me it's the same right Wadi Ram is is my favorite place in Jordan too and my Bedouin friends there and that feeling of warmth when you were saying it I could feel it in my chest honestly because it's really powerful it's really strong and I think most people when they come to Wadi Ram and they experience that they have to come back and I've also met a lot of people in Wadiram who've been there. It's their fifth or sixth visit back. They keep coming back for that feeling, I think, you know. I don't know how your experience is in the sea, but for me, every time I come back to the States, I miss that because we don't live like that here. At all. We live in our bubbles and that hospitality, that outward, very pronounced hospitality it's not here in this world, you know, but it is there. And I don't know, for mm-hmm. me, at least, it is just such a warm and like affirming feeling. I just, I miss it. So I keep coming back for it, you know. Correct. I think it's this, when I go to Wadi Ramar, it's made me actually think for a second that hmm, maybe I could give up everything and just move to the desert and just live the life of a nomad and not have to worry about bills and news and just live free because that's it's they're living every day really are living free there's a spiritual freedom i think you get as a nomad in the desert right yeah yeah and you know i'm gonna refer our audience to an episode we did just before we went on hiatus with Ahmad Maraye, who is my Bedouin friend, who runs Ram Planet Camp in Waziram. You guys can check it out in the feed. It's just a few episodes back. And we were talking about this with him too, because what I've observed over years of interacting with them is that, you know, sure, they're busy, like, especially if they're running a camp, they're busy people. They have calls all the time. They're here, here. They're like, you know, welcoming guests and all of that. Mm-hmm. But there is a stillness underneath that. That is, I think, what you're talking about, that spiritual freedom. And you can see it. It's palpable. And I think that's also what we're kind of attracted to. Because living, first of all, living in that grand setting of Wadiram is just so yes. majestic. And it does something to your soul. It heals your soul somehow, I know. It does. And it does. I just think that if you guys listening, if you ever have a chance to come to Jordan... Make sure you spend some time in Wadiram because people often come there on a four-hour Jeep tour from Petra. You know, they don't stay overnight. You really need to stay overnight, You even a couple of days if you can, because otherwise you're doing yourself a disservice. It's such a special experience to be there. I want to come back to the first person you mentioned, the woman that you're that you're working with and who is inspiring you. That is something that I see in Jordan as well. A lot of people that I know and a lot of my friends are these incredibly powerful, strong and affectionate women who care about their community and who are building their community. And that is also so affirming for me to see. And also something that I always take back to my own life. Like you said, you know, you want to bring it back to Jamaica and see what you can do there. Same for me. Like it is so inspiring to see that and to want to bring it back. 
And for me, a woman like that is Lama Khatib. She's a co-founder of Almarake Wheat. And I did a story on Jordan's ancient bread making history recently. And in one of the upcoming episodes, I'm going to bring that story to the podcast. So you guys stay tuned. But Lama Khatib, she's like that too. And she is all about reviving the ancient wheat grains in Jordan. Because actually the interesting history there that I learned just recently is that Jordan, majority of wheat in Jordan right now is white refined American wheat that's flooding the market there. And not just there, and actually a lot of countries around the world. So it kind of has to do with geopolitics, actually. But Lama is working on bringing those ancient grains of wheat and strains of wheat back into everyday consumption and production. And she's quite successful at it. There's a lot of bakeries, a lot of restaurants that are now using. And, you know, there's a whole movement of reviving ancient foods in Jordan, which is, it deserves its own episode because it's, it's a lot of that's happening there as well. But Lama Khatib is one such person for me. You know, she's incredibly warm, affectionate, but also sharp and powerful and strong. And it's just such an incredible combination that as a woman myself, I want to inhabit that combination, you know? Yeah, correct. You hit the nail on the head. That's exactly how I feel as well. The woman I was talking about is Muna Haddad, the owner of Baraka Destinations. Ah. Um, yeah, I think the inspirational part about it is that what success looks like for her is when she can step away from those communities and they totally function on their own, which is what her mission is usually. So, yes. I love that. I love that. Oh, I can't wait to be back. I can't wait to be back in Jordan. And actually, I'm going to be back there with you very soon. I can't wait to to see that again. So we're going to start wrapping up here. And as we do, what would you say be the biggest misconception that you want people to stop having about the Middle Eastern culture, about the region, about the people living and working in the region? Well, first of all, I would like people to approach this region on a whole, and actually the world on a whole, like there are humans that live there. There are human beings that live there first and foremost, families, mothers, fathers, grandparents, kids, brothers, sisters, aunts, uncles. And the funny thing is that the foundation of the Jordanian culture, I would say, is based on family, right? Families are very strong in Arab culture on a whole, very important, very close-knit. They make lots of effort to uh, get together on a weekly basis. And the ties are so strong, so much so that many families live within the same building as they get older and they get married. They just live on on top of each other, like in apartments above the, the parents. And so I would love for people to first off, you know, always travel with that kind of mindset of, you know, wherever you go, you know, you're going to somebody's home, you're going into somebody's is life you know when you're passing through these villages you're passing through people's daily lives so if you're going to go somewhere you want to go with an open mind and see the people first that's what i would like to see and go deeper yeah go deeper i love that i love that i think that's a beautiful note and a wish aspiration for us to close on to not forget that wherever we travel, there are people there and families and brothers and sisters and mothers and daughters, like you said, and to 
to always keep that in mind. And then I think that will help us all feel a little bit more connected and a little bit more human towards each other. Exactly. We can hope and we can do our best with the tools that we have to continue delivering that message and that hope and that tool, right? Definitely. It's been a pleasure speaking to you today. Thank you so much. I know you're traveling right now. I know you're in Jordan on a very busy schedule. So I, I appreciate that you took the time to come and speak to us today. And I can't wait to see you in Jordan very soon. Yes, it was a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on your program. And uh, yeah, I look forward to more conversations and to seeing you in Jordan next month and sharing more of what we love about this beautiful culture, people, place. Love that. Inshallah. Inshallah, I'll see you soon. Inshallah. All right, you take care. Thank you, Yulia. Thank you so much for listening today. And I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you want to stay updated on all things Going Places, be sure to visit goingplacesmedia.com to sign up for our weekly newsletter. If you've been enjoying listening to our show, please take a moment to leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or share this episode on social media. Our theme music this season, Abad al-Shams, is provided by Rowan Roshni, a Palestinian Balkan singer based in Jordan who experiments across genres. Our partner this season is Visit Jordan. My name is Yulia Denisuk, and I will see you next week.